Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. Colin Ward-Henninger is our other co-host, and I have a very important question for him. Colin, what do you think of my new intro? Welcome, welcome, welcome. I love it. The three words. I'm right? Enthusiastic. It it's the playoffs. You know, it's a new new story, new breed of podcast. I, I love it. Yeah, I really, like, I stumbled onto it with a guest, like, two weeks ago. And it just sort of seems like, this is weird, because every major podcast, they have their, like, distinctive intro tick. Like, Zach Lowe does Welcome To with the long pause. But everybody's doing variations on, like, the same five or six different words, right? So that's my spin on it. I think it's going to become iconic. And when I get when I get inducted into the Hall of Fame in a few years, I think that's going on my plaque. So I'm okay. feeling very good about that. As long as I can, as long as I, as long as I can present you and stand behind you and not say anything. No, Colin, you know that um, you have to be a Hall of Famer to induct a Hall of Famer. So I've got to get in so that I can like grease the wheels for you. I think I get it. You're just assuming that I'm not going to be in the Hall of Fame before you are. No, it's not that I think you're not Hall of Fame worthy. I just think I'm the bigger star. I think I'm the draw of this podcast. Listen, how many times have you argued with Kendrick Perkins on Twitter? That's a good point. Uh, what does he say? Carry on. That's all. <laughs> he called me. He called me the hall monitor last time. I Ooh, was pretty good. proud of that. Yeah, like I, I liked. I, I liked the idea that I just ruined Kendrick Perkins's day. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to talk about some people whose days are going to get ruined by other people. Ooh. Last week we talked about players who had a lot to gain financially from the playoffs. Guys who are, let's say, due for either breakout performances or maybe they're going to be appreciated more. Like. For whatever reason, these are guys that we thought are going to make some money. The guys we're talking about today are guys that we think are going to lose some money. So, Colin, I will give you the floor. Who do you want to start with? Um, you know what, Sam? We never talk about the Lakers, so why why don't we start no. with the Lakers? They they got a, a few guys. Be, yeah, we could really talk about like half of their roster because everybody's a free agent, and I have no idea who's going to play for them. Right. So I'll, I'll just start with one guy that I, you know, especially in that playing game against the Warriors, this kind of really stood out to me. And, and that's Dennis Schroeder. Um, I, I know he turned down uh, reportedly a, a massive extension with the Lakers. I'm not sure what he's thinking, but based on the way he played in the playing game, uh, he basically got benched in crunch time in favor of Alex Caruso because he was kind of getting abused on defense. Um, I feel like with a bad playoff run here that could seriously like jeopardize his financial future i don't know about you no i i 100 agree i'll play devil's advocate to an extent and say that he did just come off of covid right like he was out for two weeks but did he have it or because he said he didn't have it and then uh, he also can't get it (laughs) yeah that whole situation is kind of a mess we don't know like he says that he's the only one who wasn't vaccinated which raises more questions but we're not going to get into that The point is, he was out for two weeks. Like, that's not nothing. When he did come back, I want to say on Saturday against the Pacers, so, like, maybe the conditioning wasn't there. Like, I'll play devil's advocate there. The real question, and this is something that I've harped on with you, I've harped on with guests, this has been a problem all year. Dennis Schroeder is not a good fit for the Lakers. He is somebody that wants to be the primary ball handler on a team, ideally a good team, but it's Dennis Schroeder, so if he's your best ball handler, you're probably not very good. And he's on a team with LeBron James. And if you're going to play on a team with LeBron James, you have to be able to shoot. That's how you stay on the floor on the perimeter, unless you're Dwayne Wade and you can do everything else perfectly. That's not Dennis Schroeder. So what we saw in the Warriors game last night in the first half, LeBron, AD, and Schroeder started 4 of 28 from the field. 
you can maybe get by with Schroeder not playing great on defense if he's at least providing meaningful supplementary ball handling. He just wasn't last night. So we saw this in crunch time. You're right. They went to Alex Crusoe. In general, what I thought was most interesting from that game was that down the stretch, Vogel trusted the guys that he had last year, right? It was LeBron, AD, Kuzma, and Caruso. Wes Matthews was kind of the new, the one newcomer that like he really leaned on in the second half. But it doesn't seem like the Lakers fully trust him. And if you look at the number that he turned down, $84 million, if he's not playing crunch time for the Lakers, like, would it be crazy to say that that number gets flipped and he's getting offered like $48 million? I mean, I don't think that's crazy. And if you look at I mean, you talked about the shooting, and, and it's so important for everybody in the NBA to shoot threes now, but especially guys in Schroeder's position. Uh, he kind of had an outlier year last year, shot 38.5% from three. That's come back down. He shot 33% this year. If you look at his playoffs, he shot like 30%, maybe even less in the playoffs last year, and that was even after a great regular season. So uh, maybe this guy just can't shoot, and if he has a, a poor shooting performance, in this upcoming playoffs, I think that might just kind of cement that in people's heads. Well, if you can't shoot and you're not like a nuclear athlete, like Westbrook can get away with not shooting, at least in the regular season. John Morant can get away with not shooting. Dennis Schroeder is not that level of athlete, and he's also small. Like he's a very good point of attack defender, at least he was this year. But he's small, and that's going to cause matchup problems. You know what I'm describing? I'm describing a six-man. And six men do not make $84 million. I think he's going to look back on turning down that contract and just that's going to be one of the bigger mistakes financially in his life. Like, I, I don't think he's going to come close to that unless the Lakers win the championship. But I think for the Lakers to win the championship, they kind of have to go away from him a little bit. I think he's most useful when LeBron goes to the bench, which is probably going to be more often this postseason than, you know, a usual LeBron playoff run because of the ankle. And then maybe if you're going to play him with LeBron, do it with Gasol at center, right? Like we saw this last night. and We've seen it all season. When Schroeder and a traditional center, a non-shooting center, play together, the floor gets pretty cramped pretty quickly. And the Lakers just, they're not having that, right? We saw this against Golden State. The Lakers were great when Anthony Davis was at center, and they were terrible when anyone else was at center. So I'm sorry. I I just don't think that they're going to make the concessions that they need to make to maximize Schroeder. I think he's going to either be a low-end starter or a high-end bench guy next year. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's what he should be, right? I mean, there's, there's yeah. no reason to think that this guy is, should be a, a starting caliber point guard on an well, NBA championship Also, team. he was the third best guard on the Thunder last year, right? Like, we forgot about it because they were running those three-guard lineups, but there was a very clear pecking order, and he was third. Let's stick with some other Lakers, though. We got to talk about the centers, who last night, there was a great clip on Twitter. I, I can't remember who posted it that showed Dennis Schroeder basically telling Andre Drummond in the middle of a live play, like, no, this is where you have to rotate. (laughs) Drummond is not, he is clearly not like up to, up to where he needs to be on defense. Anthony Davis even mentioned this in his post game presser last night where he said like, yeah, Andre doesn't know the rotations yet. Okay. They're about to play the, the second best team in the NBA by record, right? Like if you don't know the rotations against Phoenix, what's Chris Paul going to do to you? He's going to destroy you. Meanwhile, we have Montrez Harrell, who we've kind of come full circle on, where last year he gets, you know, totally abused by Jokic in the playoffs and Luka too. But then we sort of forget he signs for the mid-level with the Lakers and people are saying, oh, this is such a steal. Oh, it's unfair. The Lakers got the sixth man of the year. Well, now we've kind of seen this lately where he's so bad on defense that he's just barely going to play in the playoffs. He did not play much last night. I think as we get into the later stages of the playoffs, 
Harrell's just barely going to play. I think he's going to be the third center behind Drummond and Gasol. So at this point, he's gone from being a bargain to somebody who, like, would he pick up his player option for next year and just take his $11 million? If he opts out, could the Lakers re-sign him for his non-bird rights, which it's around $11 million? Like, I don't think there's much upside for Harrell in the market, right? Like, who's signing Montrez Harrell for starter money? I mean, I feel so bad for this guy. It's like, what if he just never came to the bubble? He was just like, you know what? I'm not in the right headspace. Uh, you know, I'm not feeling whatever. And he well, just never came back. counterpoint to that. If he didn't go to the bubble, we'd be saying he's a bad teammate. I guess, right? like, but I think he'd still get paid. He'd still Lakers, get paid, though. There's a segment of Lakers Twitter that was saying that about Avery Bradley, even after they won the championship. Now, the situations are not really analogous. They were, I, I don't know, like, I just I, I feel like he would have taken the brunt of that in another way. Although what I think you could say is if he didn't go to the bubble and the Clippers still lost, I think they probably would have made it one round deeper and lost to the Lakers. Then he could have gone to the Clippers and said, like, man, if I was here, like we could have done it. So like maybe that would have given him some leverage over them. But yeah, it's kind of a mess, man. Like he lost a lot of money. It's not because of injury, but it reminds me of Isaiah Thomas a little bit. We're like, he just hit free agency a year too late. Yeah, you just get to, you have such a short window in the NBA sometimes yeah. where it's like, you know, uh, there's an influx of money or the salary cap goes up and you get your chance. And if you miss that window, I mean, it sucks because, I mean, this is kind of a, you know, a, a bigger scheme thing of where the NBA is and where it's going in terms of two centers who, you know, Drummond puts up massive stats, one of the best rebounders by numbers in the league. Montrez Harrell. I want to talk the, about that, but go go on. Yeah, Montrez Harrell, one of the best scorers in the NBA off the bench. He was even better as a scorer this year, but he's still getting you know relatively benched. Or are you sure there's going to be games or series where he doesn't play very much uh, as the Lakers try to repeat? So it, we're just in a weird place for centers right now. And if you're not uh, a rim protector, if you're not a a mobile switchable center, I guess I'm curious like what do you have to do? to get a bunch of money sign with a bad team probably. i guess i like that's the way to do it i want to combat this idea that andre drummond is the best rebounder in the nba he gets the most rebounds that's why i said by numbers is, well no i just this is a bigger problem that, with the way that we perceive rebounding we only look at a do you get the rebound or b do you help your team get the rebounds through box outs that's not the only thing that we need to consider here what we also need to consider is how valuable are your rebounds? And I've noticed this with Gasol and Drummond in particular. When Drummond gets a rebound, it's like there's all this pageantry to it where, like, he goes up and he pulls it in and he kind of hugs it to himself and everything stops and, like, the play dies. And it's like, okay, Andre has secured the rebound. Now we may begin our offensive sequence. When Marc Gasol gets a rebound, his eyes are down court when he's in the air. Like, he's looking for fast breaks. So when you look at the numbers, like the Lakers are scoring more fast break points when Gasol is in the game than when Drummond is in the game, despite the fact that Drummond gets so many more rebounds, it's because Drummond doesn't do anything with his rebound. A Gasol rebound is basically a free fast break. So I think this is just something in general that we should watch out for more is guys who just they're wasteful rebounders, I guess, where they're not doing anything with their rebounds. And that's Drummond. That's another reason that I don't think you should get paid, by the way. Like, who cares if you get 18 rebounds if you're not doing anything with those rebounds? Right. And also the thing is, like, with, with most teams not putting an emphasis on offensive rebounding, a lot of times those are just free rebounds that anyone could get. It's it's not that you are a great rebounder. It's just that you are the one closest to the ball 
Um, I love the the, the centers who uh, they they kind of their guard or, or a perimeter player kind of is in the same vicinity as them, and then they both have their hands on the ball, and like the center makes sure that the guard gives it to him so that he gets the rebound. I always look out for stuff like that because it's like, which is bad. It's, it's kind it's kind of the most selfish thing that you could possibly yeah. do on a basketball court. Well, that's DeAndre Jordan 101. But did you see the Nate Bjorker thing today when he was mic'd up for um, – it was during one of the timeouts, and he basically tells his guys, like, punt on offensive rebounding. And the quote was incredible. It was like, when that shot goes up, I want you sprinting back because you're fighting for rebounds. That ball's going to go in. And I got to tell you, I watched that Wizard Faces game. Those shots did not go in. <laughs> I want to go back to Harold a little bit, though. Like, I think the Drummond thing is going to get litigated literally after every playoff game. He's going to have one big game per series where, like, people are going to be like, wow, Drummond really saved the Lakers. They wouldn't have done it without him. I think Harrell is, like, real danger of not playing at all. I think Drummond is going to be in the lineup if for no other reason than if your whole, like, for a three-minute stretch, your offensive game plan is LeBron, Drummond, pick and roll with three shooters around them. Like, that's a good way to steal some offensive rest for Anthony Davis. Like, I think there are easy functions with Drummond. The offensive rebounding has some value, right? It's going to create some second-chance points. And even if he doesn't know what he's doing on defense, he is big enough and athletic enough that, like, you can kind of get by. Harrell, like, we, man, Golden State did this earlier in the season. Portland did this earlier in the season. We saw it in the playoffs last year. If he's on the floor in a big moment, he is just going to get hunted into extinction and pick and roll. Like, that dude just cannot defend Damian Lillard or Stephen Curry or pick your big-name guard, like, Lord knows if he ran into Kyrie Irving, that would be a disaster. That dude cannot defend the pick-and-roll in the playoffs. I'm sorry. And when you have any defensive liability on the floor in the playoffs, it just gets picked at and picked at and picked at. And I think if you are picking the Lakers to win the championship, your whole argument is they don't need to have any of those liabilities, so you're never going to get any easy shots. If Harrell plays, that situation dies. So... I think he's going to get a chance against Phoenix, but we saw this the last time the Lakers played Phoenix. Marcus All was so good that he had to play. I think Harrell might really be out of the rotation. And if that's the case, my official quote unquote prediction is that he picks up his player option for next year and the Lakers trade him at the deadline. That would be quite a turn of events, but I mean, it, it makes sense. And like you said, you know, like can't play Canner, right? Like once, once they find yeah. a weak spot, they're just going to go after it over and over. I think it was Jeff Van Gundy was saying the other day, like, uh, like the the first round of the playoffs is nothing like the regular season. The second round of the playoffs is nothing like the first round. The finals are yeah. nothing like, you know, it just keeps getting harder and harder well, and harder. We saw this when the Hornets played the Pacers, right? Like the Hornets brought a knife to a gunfight. That's what happened. They treated it like a regular season game. You could just see there was no urgency whatsoever. You're right. Every round gets progressively more difficult. Now, just a general theory I want to run by you. Remember when the Warriors were like, the Warriors, and they had Kevin Durant. They were totally unbeatable. And basically 90% of players in the NBA could not stay on the floor against them. Like, this was a huge point of discussion. Could you stay on the floor against the Warriors? And the answer was basically, if you're not 6'8", super switchable, and a great shooter, the answer is no. I wonder, in an NBA without, like, a perfect team like that, do we have to lower the bar a little bit? And I'm not saying this applies to Montrez Harrell, but are there guys that, like, maybe a few years ago we would have thought of as totally unplayable in the playoffs, whereas now, like, I don't know, like, what's Phoenix going to do to punish you, right? Like, what's Denver without Murray going to do to punish you? Like, I think guys are more playable now than they maybe were a few years ago. 
But I also wonder, like, is Brooklyn going to totally, like, change that equation again? Yeah, I think, and it's it's all about, like, the, the net, right? Like, is what you're doing on offense valuable enough to overcome your shortcomings on defense? And I think Price against works, yeah. against some teams, that'll work. Against some teams, that won't work. So, and it's hard to say, you know, hey, we're going to give this guy $15 million a year if there's certain matchups that you know you're not going to be able to play him in. So that's where the financial aspect of it comes in. So it's, it's going to be difficult for centers, and particularly these two centers in the Lakers. Remember when Bismack Biombo got $64 million? Or was it 72 I forget. I, I just, I, every time you bring up Bismack Biombo, I just think this is this year was so entertaining watching LaMelo Ball try to throw him passes in the lane and just watching him bounce off his face out of bounds. It was, it was some of the most entertaining parts this entire year. I just had to throw that in. Well, it's funny because, I mean, obviously we talk about LaMelo with like potentially going to the Warriors and them obviously not picking him. LaMelo and Stephen Curry were kind of like separated at birth in the pick and roll this year, where there are all these plays where Steph is running pick and roll with Draymond and he gets blitzed, but then he either he splits the double or like, you know, he whatever he does, like he gets a, an advantageous situation and he fires a pass inside or Draymond fires a pass inside and somebody doesn't catch the ball. We saw this last night. I think um, Steph fired one of those passes to Juan Toscano Anderson and he doesn't catch it and it botches a wide open layup like. Those oh guys yeah, there was a huge a swing. I think yeah. I think Wiggins dropped one too. It was a it was a bad. Wiseman dropped several earlier in the season. Yeah, those that's, two guys, Steph and Lamelo, like they they were the two kings of that this year. Yeah, it's a it's a different type of basketball when you play with guys like that, which is so crazy to think because like these are all NBA players. Like you'd think that you would have your hands up and be ready, but I guess there's just you guys think they that, can catch the ball. Yeah, it's just it's just different when you're not expecting it and. You guys pass at awkward times or they get through angles and and, you know, spaces that you're not used to people being able to pass through. So, yeah, well, this is another Drummond thing. He can't catch the ball either. And like if Nerlens Noel could catch the ball, he'd be making twice as much. We've talked enough about the Lakers. I'm going to talk about a former Laker now. Ooh. And I have this as a category. I'm just going to call them the olds. Danny <laughs> Green and P.J. Tucker as guys who are making good money right now. But I think with a bad postseason, like especially P.J. Tucker. Because let's be honest, P.J. Tucker has mostly been bad this year. And he's, like, kind of been a non-factor for the Bucks for the most part. They haven't played him at center yet. I think P.J. Tucker could get the minimum with the bad playoffs. I think Danny Green's shooting is good enough that he won't go that far. But, like, he's not making $15 million next year. So those are my two old guys. What do you think about them? Um, Tucker, I honestly forgot he was on the Bucks for a while. Just because I watched some of their games and either he didn't play or I turned it off when he came in. But um, he's shooting better from three uh, with the Bucks. He's at 39 percent, but he doesn't shoot a ton of them. He's also he's averaging 2.6 points. But that's not why you have P.J. Tucker. So um, I think we know what he's going to bring in the playoffs. Uh, you might be a little more skeptical than I am. I don't think that you're going to have to worry about him. As for his contract for next season, uh, here's a guy where, you know, if the Bucks can kind of overcome their playoff demons and, and get to an Eastern Conference Finals, get to an NBA Finals, I think that Tucker will probably get a lot of that credit and will probably be rewarded financially. But um, as you mentioned, if he gets left open in the corner and he can't make a three anymore and he looks, you know, two steps slower on defense, you could be looking at like a, a minimum guy or, you know, one of the guys who stays a free agent for a while until uh, a contender decides to go get him. Well, I think defense is what really matters here, right? Because they're on a collision course with Brooklyn. They're going to play in the second round. We are going to see a significant number of minutes 
where P.J. Tucker is, quote-unquote, the rim protector on the floor. Or I guess, I don't know, would you call him the center or would you call Giannis the center when they play together? Uh, I mean, I think Giannis the center just because of, but, I mean, the tuck wagon lineups, you know, in Houston, he was technically the center there. So, yeah, let's call right. Tucker the center. So they're going, I would say that that's probably the alignment that they close with a lot of the time against Brooklyn, unless Brooke Lopez is just looking really good in some games. If the Nets beat them in five, which is like a real possibility, I think at that point, P.J. Tucker's utility as like the super switchable small ball five is probably expired, right? Like that's what you're signing him to do. If he can't do it against Brooklyn, who you need to beat next year to win the title, whoever you are, like you're signing him for that purpose. And if he can't do it, then there's no point in giving him the mid-level exception. (laughs) It's just a tryout. It's like, hey, let's see how you do against Brooklyn. You failed. Um uh, Danny Green, I think, uh, I think he'll be fine. I, I think they're there. He's played well this year, and unlike Tucker, I think, like you said, Tucker's only utility is being a small ball five, basically. Whereas Green can kind of play, you know, multiple wing positions. He's still a forty percent three point shooter. Obviously, very streaky, but um, I think Danny Green kind of has been what he is for the past like seven or eight years, and I think. Next year, he'll be the same. He's not that old. He's only, what, 33? What he is is an awesome shooter for six weeks at a time, and then he disappears for the rest of the season. You just got to get him at the right right six weeks, man. Right. Well, I mean, Toronto didn't. That's why they won the championship. Um, The Lakers never got the shooting streak. They got all the other good stuff. Like, obviously, he's still a very good defender. I think the biggest reason these guys might get paid decent chunks of money is that both of these teams want to have big tradable salaries. So, like, if you're the Bucks. Would it be that harmful of you to give P.J. Tucker one year $10 million, like knowing that if it doesn't work, you're trading him at the deadline? No. If you're the Sixers and you want to sign Kyle Lowry in a sign-and-trade this offseason, do you sign-and-trade Danny Green to Toronto as part of the salary flotsam package? Like, maybe. I think this is an advantage that a lot of guys with bird rights on contenders have. Those teams want tradable salary so badly that they might be willing to overpay to get it. And the Lakers, I think, are a big candidate for this as well. Because the Lakers suddenly are going to have like a fair bit to trade next year. They're going to have an extra first-round pick to dangle. Their own first-round pick, quietly from this year, is I think going to be 22. Like it, That's a pretty valuable pick. So <clears throat> this is something to watch for with contenders in general, is just signing guys for the purpose of trading them. Do you have any more old guys you want to throw out on here? There's always more old guys. By the way, when you said the olds, it sounds like a like a, a streaming drama on like Hulu or like Amazon Prime or something. The well, olds. I'm thinking of what's that movie with all the washed up action stars? The Expendables. Uh, oh yeah, with like Sylvester Stallone and. What would an Expendables NBA roster be like? Because like in theory, you'd want to make it LeBron because he's like the cover boy for old guys. But LeBron is still very good. So is it like? I don't know, P.J. Tucker, Danny Yeah, they have, they have to be active players. We can't get Kwame Brown in here somehow. Uh, I feel like just we're under the same corporate umbrella as some of the guys he's shooting with. So maybe we should stay out of that one. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about who the who, who would be like the face of the Expendables NBA roster. Like who is uh, the super old, super washed guy? Uh, Udonis Haslam. He, he's not the star of this. He's definitely in it. And he's definitely he's like old, super, super old, stuff. super washed. No, but I'm needing like a boxes. I need like a star to headline this. Like who is somebody that would have headlined a movie that is not the Expendables a few years ago, but is now going to be at the center of this. I don't think John Wall is quite old enough yet. I mean, I think he's washed enough, but is I don't Chris think he's Paul old count. Yet. Chris Paul still no, Chris Paul's good. still good. 
Yeah. Where is like 2017 Darren Williams when we need him? They don't have old people in the league anymore because they just they buy them out or they they wave them well, and go with a six on. six wing instead. How old do you think Jeremy Lin is? Thirty five. Thirty two. Wow. Jeremy Lin played his last NBA game at the age of thirty. I don't think there's going to be another one. Like there you go. Jeremy Lin was a good NBA player, like a almost starting level player. What two or three years ago? This stuff changes fast. Life when you're watching, but yeah, I do have a couple of others. Uh, one is JJ Redick, who is I think on the Mavericks. I haven't really seen him play much since. Well, he got... you think, and that's accurate because <laughs> I don't think I've seen him play either. I look at the stats; <laughs> he's playing 11 minutes a game. I don't know. Am I not watching those 11 minutes? Yeah, I think he's got some sort of injury, uh, maybe a heel or something like that. But look, he was not good in New Orleans this season. Um, I think it was a pretty open secret that he wanted to go to Brooklyn and probably wasn't too happy that he went to Dallas. I think he spoke publicly about that. Um, but, you know, the guy can shoot. Like, that's never going to be a problem. But I think he's getting to the point where he's, what, 36 years old now. It, it, it's got to go at some point. And if he either keeps getting injured or he his foot speed is too slow, he can't work around those screens or, or kind of cover up defensively anymore. This could be a guy that uh, I think uh, you mentioned off the air might just sign a a minimum in Brooklyn and and be next to his kids. Well, yeah, that's my thing. Would anybody offer more than the minimum at this point? Like, how is he losing money? I mean, I guess his salary is going to go down, but I don't think his value right now is such that like a bad postseason could really affect him. I think him signing with Brooklyn for the minimum is like written in the stars. That's going to happen. Well, it's just so weird that like before he signed with New Orleans, like he was a very important player on 76ers who were had like championship aspirations. It was a real blow when he left them like two years later now. And he's like out of the league or <laughs> signing for a minimum. It's just like, man, the average is 18 points a game with the Sixers. JJ might be one of the headliners for this Expendables NBA movie we're doing. He'd be like, the, he's like, he'd be like the boss in like the well, glass office with a cigar. No, like, I think he would be like Damon in um, in Ocean's Eleven, where like he's kind of new to the crew, but he's there and he's playing a key role, and the guys believe in him. Like I, I don't think I don't think he could be the headliner here, but I think he would play a key role, uh, which he would never he will never do on an NBA team again. By the way, another guy who would need a, a role in this movie is Lou Williams. He would oh yeah, there you go. Be a constant source of entertainment, that's for sure. Um, I've never I don't, wanted a reality show based around a player more than I want one around Lou, by the way. When he retires, I would love it if, like, hey, we work for a media company. If CBS could just, like, send a camera crew to Lou and just, like, let's see what happens. Just, yeah, just follow him at all times. Um, I mean, anybody who can have, you know, uh, two girlfriends at the same time who know about each other is is worthy of at least some sort of documentary. Um, we got to go back to the 20, <laughs> what was it, 2016 Lakers, 2017 Lakers. When it was him and Nick Young and like I think D'Angelo Russell's rookie year, like was it Clark- there, there are a Clarkson lot of on was Clarkson on that team? Clarkson was on those teams, yeah. <laughs> um, there there are a lot of stories to be told from that group. <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, Lou Williams was terrible with the Clippers. Um, he's been better with the Hawks, but I don't know what his role is going to be in the playoffs. If you have Bogdanovich and DeAndre Hunter gives you anything, maybe Cam Reddish comes back. Um, like we've talked about so much already on this podcast, he's just such a liability defensively. This has been his problem throughout his career in the postseason. 
Um, he doesn't get the calls, doesn't go to the line, and so his offense isn't worth the defensive issues that he creates. So um, I, I don't see him having a great playoff run, and I think that, I don't know, like is there room for a guy like this in the NBA right now? Now, I think the matchups work out favorably for Lou in this regard. Because, like, what are the Knicks going to do to punish him? Are they going to run a billion Alfred Payton pick and rolls to get Lou William into pick and roll? Well, like, he's going to be matched with Derrick Rose's minutes, more likely, right? Right. Sure. But, like, I don't know. Does, it, does a bunch of Derrick Rose pick and rolls, like, really scare you? It should. And by the man. way, the other thing is, like, look, Derrick Rose has been very good this year. I'm not denying that. I'm saying, like, when you talk about the sort of guys that do the hunting in the playoffs, it's usually, like, you're talking about James Harden. You're talking about... Chris Paul, you're talking about Damian Lillard, like the guys that if if they see Lou Williams on the floor, their eyes get huge and they're thinking like, I'm going to go at this guy on every possession. If Derrick Rose is doing that, like Derrick Rose is not going to average 30 in this series. And by the way, there are a lot of guys in this series that I think benefit from this. Like Trey Young, too. I think there are certain teams in the playoffs that if they saw Trey Young defensively, they'd go at him every possession. I don't think the Knicks are really equipped to do that. John Collins would have some trouble with Julius Randle, but I think Clint Capella gets that matchup eventually. So, like, I think a lot of these Atlanta guys, their defensive issues would be problematic in the wrong matchup. I just don't think the Knicks are the team to really exploit that. Yeah, but on the other side, you also have to think, like, the Knicks are a really good defensive team, so, you know, Lou might not be able to score as much as he normally True. would. Yeah. So that, that might make him look worse as well. So. Well, also, they're, if, if they make it to the second round and they're playing Philly – he might get the Bible treatment for like a decent chunk of those bench minutes. Oh, and God. if that's the case, yeah, like he might shoot like negative 12%. You might not even be able to see Lou Williams on the court just because Thibel is just smothering him the entire time. Thibel it's has like, wait, I thought him. Lou Williams was in the game. Why is Atlanta playing with four players? What's that phone game or maybe it was a computer game where like you start as the small fish and you're eating other fish and you're getting bigger and bigger? I feel like it would be like that where like Thibel would just eat Lou Williams and suddenly he would be like 6'10". Like he would get slightly bigger. Yeah. I think that's how that would go. But fortunately for Lou is that I think in Thibel's minutes, he's going to be trailing Trey Young. But if we're talking about bench minutes, which is when Thibel tends to come in the game and when Lou tends to come in the game, that stretch could be very problematic for him. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised would you be if Lou Williams just retired at the end of the season? Scale of one to ten, so like ten, ten being is, ten is most super surprised. surprised. Yeah. I kind of want to just split the difference and say five because you could convince me with anything. Yeah. Like with Lou, you could tell me that he want like you could tell me he got a reality show. You could tell me that he's just like I'm over this. I don't have to do it anymore. I which I don't blame him. He's in his mid thirties. Like he's made plenty of money. I don't. He doesn't strike me as somebody for many reasons that like winning a championship is the be all and end all for him. I honestly wouldn't be super surprised if he just took the minimum to go back to the Clippers. Like, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot there. I, I would buy almost anything. I feel like Lou Williams has a really great life. Like, I feel like if Lou retires and like, you know what? He's just going to go back to Magic City and eat his wings and enjoy himself. You've earned it, Lou. No no arguments here. Yeah, I think if he's going to get like, like five million dollars from like the Kings, like he's just going to shut it down. Like, I was like, why would I do yeah. that? I just, it's not worth it when you get to a certain point. Now, like, hey, who am I to turn down $5 million? I don't make $5 million. But, like, I do think there are guys, some guys are just in it for every last dollar. 
other guys, I think you're right. Like Lou, like dude's done enough. Like, like go, go enjoy yourself, Lou. You've earned it. There is one more old guy. Does he? He counts as an old guy. Goran Dragic. He's old. He counts as an old guy, but he's not really in this category because like JJ Redick is makes just, too like, much money. Valuable. Well, no, like JJ Redick right now is like a minimum player. I don't know what Goran Dragic is worth on the open market. He's got a team option next year. I believe it's for 18 million. My suspicion right now, and this could change dozens of times before the offseason, is that Miami operates above the cap. Now, the disadvantage of doing this is that they're not going to be able to sign Kyle Lowry outright if they go that route. But they could sign and trade for him if they operate above the cap, or they could just keep a bunch of big salaries and say, like, well, we don't know who we're going to trade for, but somebody's going to become available and we're the Heat. I think that's the likeliest outcome for them. Where Gordon Dragic is, he's a team icon. He's been there forever. He's a great, great locker room guy. That organization loves him. And obviously, like, we've seen this with Haslam. We've seen this with other Heat guys. They tend to take care of their own. So I think the likeliest outcome here is they just keep everybody. He picks up his team. They pick up his team option, rather. And if they have to trade him, they have to trade him. But, like, are you really going to dump somebody who's been as important to that organization for Kyle Lowry? Like, is that really worth it? Yeah, I guess that's my like my question heading into the playoffs and why I kind of brought him up in this list is like he was so good in the bubble and so important to that team when they went to the finals. And it's like he hasn't been as good this year and, you know, he's been banged up like he always is. Um, but I guess if he's not like as good as he was in the bubble or something close to it, if he's just kind of like on the same level as Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero, it's like at a certain point, you're kind of spinning your wheels, right? Um, I, your point about, you know, operating above the cap and all that makes sense to me. Uh, but in terms of actual, like, player value, uh, I think if he has, like, a bad bubble run and he looks washed up, that could, you know, affect his salary if the Heat choose not to do that. Well, I think where Goran Dragic made a lot of his money last year was in that Buck series, right? Well, they're playing the Bucks again, and I think that could go much, much worse for him. Just as a side note, I think a lot of people are looking at this Bucks Heat rematch as like, oh, the Heat beat them last year. They could be in this year. The Heat are significantly worse than they were last year, right? You agree with me on that? I think that everyone thought the Heat were just gonna like get good all of a sudden, and it just it never, never happened. happened. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I don't it's know just, if that's, that's a, like that's like we were talking about though. Like I don't know if all of a sudden it's like okay, it's playoff time, and it's like now they're the the Heat we saw last last year, but. It would have been nice to see some of that during the regular season. Well, they, they really struggled. Let's look at like what actually happened in that Buck series last year. First and foremost, Jay Crowder shot like 90% on threes. Jay Crowder now plays for the Suns. And he can't help defend Giannis, which he wasn't the primary Giannis guy. Bam was, obviously. But Crowder was really important defensively in that series last year. He's now gone. Dragic is worse. Duncan Robinson looks worse. Tyler Hero is stagnated. Like... A lot of the things that went well for them in that series last year, I don't think that they're going to repeat themselves. So I think there's a scenario where, like, Drew Holiday just goes wild on on Dragic and also defends him and shuts him down. So, yeah, you're right. I think, like, if we purely talk about his, you know, remove all of the sentimental stuff, what is his market value, I think it, it probably could go down quite a bit. If he was an unrestricted free agent, what would you pay him if you were running a team? <sighs> that's tough. Um, let's see, like, that's why I said it depends on the playoffs. But it, let's say he had, like, a, you know, whatever playoff run where he wasn't great, he wasn't terrible. Um, 
probably like 15, something like that. Over, wait, over per year or like, that's way out. That's, wait, wait, what, what kind of contract are you talking? Too much for one year? One year. Oh, you're not. Okay. One year, 15 million. I was going way lower than that. If he well, has. I mean, obviously, yeah. If you, I, I, it's kind of like one of your one year, like balloon deals right. like you talk about sometimes. See, my thought would be if he were to hit the open market and the heat weren't an option, none of the cap space teams would sign him. So you're looking at mid-levels. And that just screams Clippers, taxpayer, mid-level exception for him. Just like $6 million. I mean, that seems about right value-wise to me. I mean, I think you can be better than that. There's more upside. But when you factor in the age, when you factor in the injury history, when you factor in the defensive issues that have always kind of exist, like, he has to be really, really good on offense to justify a, playing time, and B, the opportunity cost of using your mid-level on him. So I think it would have to be a team like the Clippers, a team that's close and just thinks we need one more shot creator. But so you think, If you think he's worth $6 million, you think the Heat are going to sign him for 18? This is the Heat we're talking about. And by the way, if they're keeping him for 18, it's not necessarily because they think he's worth 18. It's because they want to trade for Bradley Beal, and they need to have salaries to trade for him. So weird, man. The the Dragic yeah. could end up uh, making eighteen million dollars next year or six, Listen, depending on what they decide to do. Quiet, he'd have quietly made a lot of players a lot of money that they maybe don't deserve. Like we obviously talk about Deion Waiters and James Johnson as like the the core of this Kelly Olynyk too. Udonis Haslam has made like ten extra million dollars off of minimums that, let's be honest, he probably didn't deserve, and maybe should have just been on the coaching staff for you know, 10% of that salary. So I don't know, like this is not something the heat or the heat are frivolous in some ways. They're not a team that's like eager to pay the tax. And we saw this during the LeBron era when they used the amnesty clause on Mike Miller, like they're thrifty in some ways, but they're willing to pay a for their own guys and B to give themselves as much roster optionality as they can. That's what I think. That's what I think the goal would be. If you were to keep Dragic. just, you're going to trade him for, whether it's Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard or whoever the next star to become available is, you need to have matching salary for that. And having him on an expiring works in that sense. I've got another old point guard for you. I hate putting him on this list. Can we just talk about Chris Paul for a minute? Like what? I'm very, I hate having this conversation. How's Chris Paul going to lose money in the playoffs? Explain this to me. So in theory, you're right. Where, if he has a bad playoffs, he's just going to opt in, make his $41 million next year, and, like, that'll be that. I do think that we've kind of – we've talked about this, I know, and I think I've talked about it with guests as well, where there's some upside if he wanted to opt out after this playoff run and maybe get, like, a big two two or three-year deal from Phoenix. He might be able to do that just based off of the goodwill of this season, even if they don't win a ring. I think like, there's a scenario where, like, what if the Lakers just, like, destroy the Suns in five games and Chris Paul doesn't look great. And now you're starting to wonder, well, how long do we want to commit to a 36 year old point guard? Is there any scenario where like, maybe he considers opting out, but the rumors are, Oh, he wouldn't make that much money if he did. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I don't know if he would, but he's, he's still really good. I mean, look at, look at the Suns. They have the second best record in the NBA. Chris Paul is going to get some MVP votes. I'm sure. Um, I don't know if there's there's no way he could be that bad in the playoffs that it would kind of you know taint all what we've seen all well, year for the last two seasons. He's 36. Like there is a clock on this. 
eventually Chris Paul is not going to be an all NBA point guard, right? Like we can agree on that. Father time is undefeated. All I'm saying is if he doesn't look great in the playoffs, which by the way, Chris Paul's playoff history, I know there are people out there that want to say like, oh, he blew the 3-1 lead to Houston. Oh, the Oklahoma City series, yada, yada, yada. Chris Paul has been fantastic in the playoffs. He is one of the most underrated playoff players in NBA history. I think it's probably likely that he looked very good in the playoffs, but he is 36. And if he looks bad, suddenly just the 36-year-old tag, I guess, like, does that become damaging if he's seeking out a long-term deal? That's my only question, right? He's 36. That's all I have to say. Chris Paul, 16 points, nine assists, a hair, a hair away from 50, 40, 90. This for the season? Yeah, this season. Yeah, I was thinking you might be talking about playoffs, but yeah, no. there you go. Like, I mean, probably well, that too. Can we talk about 50, 40, 90 for a second? Because I feel like there were like nine players who came like five free throws away. You know the Nets? If Kevin Durant had made five more free throws out of his however many attempts, and I think Joe Harris was far away on the free throws, but well there with field goal and three-point percentage, they could have had three 50, 40, 90 guys. I don't know. This season just seems out of whack to me. That's incredible. I how, about, really... how about the Tony Snell 50, 50, 100? Did you get that? He started he a new club. Enough, but yeah, you're right. Tony <laughs> Snell, he invented the 50, 50, 90 club. Tony Stell's also the guy who played an entire game and recorded zero stats, just zeros across the board. I love. And Tony wasn't Stell. it like a not like a pretty significant number of minutes where it was like? Oh seven, yeah, something. I think it was like in the, like the high twenties or something. It was crazy. Was it the twenties? I thought it was like high single digits. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up while you while you talk, but I'm that, pretty sure. Okay, if he if he recorded zero stats over twenty plus minutes, that should go to the Hall of Fame. Like twenty eight minutes. Zero stat and like this includes fouls. This includes like everything. Uh, I mean, I think it's more like the fantasy stats, like points, rebounds, assists, okay. steals, blocks, that sort of thing. That is, wow. I, I doubt he had any free throws because he, he went is, like he went like six months without shooting a free throw this year. So <laughs> again, I, another I, Tony Snell stat. I wouldn't really read too much into the shooting stats this year. I, I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe it's having no fans at games. I don't know. But, like, the shooting stats this year are so out of whack that I'm just not really paying them much mind. And, by the way, also, if you are picking the Lakers to win the title, I wonder if this helps your cause a little bit. Because the Lakers could not possibly shoot worse than they did during the regular season. They have nowhere to go but up. Whereas a lot of the teams they're playing against have a lot of room to go down with more fans coming into arenas. And also just the general difficulty of making threes in the playoffs. So, something to watch for, I guess. I'll throw out another name. He got COVID as soon as he got traded. What about Evan Fournier? I really don't know what to make of him because he was on one of those Orlando contracts that only really makes sense in the context of Orlando, where he's making $17 million And, like, well, if you look at the numbers, like, I, that kind of makes sense. But he's posting those numbers with the Magic, who have no point guard. And, well, like, somebody has to post stats there, right? Like, I don't know. What is he in a winning infrastructure? Well, that's another thing where, like, I'm wondering, like, is he pissed that he got traded to Boston? Like, if he Well, just... now that Jalen Brown's out, he could put up some numbers, especially because he's about to play Brooklyn. So they might get swept, but they might get swept and score 120 points a game. Right. But if he's bad, if he has, like, his zero field goals games, like he's had with the Celtics, then, like, he could have just either played out the season in Orlando or, or just gotten shut down for the rest of the season 
And he had a really good year in Orlando, almost 20 points a game. He's a little bit better with his playmaking, obviously shot the three well. So, I mean, he has he, de- he has put up good stats in Boston, but I'm just wondering if, like, this playoff atmosphere, people uh, are going to see him and be like, all right, well, this isn't a guy that we can win with. And then I guess you're hoping that it's one of the, you know, either fringe contenders or non-contenders that are just like, hey, we need a guy who can score. Maybe he goes I back mean, to Orlando. Yeah. Realistically, I think the fact that Boston used the Gordon Hayward um, trade exception for him means that, like, they're not going to just let him walk yeah. because they can't go through this. Like, they've lost so much talent that they can't lose the asset for nothing. They will have his bird right so they can go over the cap to re-sign him. He is shooting 54% on threes over his last, I think, eight games. But that, that just shows, like, he is very feast or famine. He was terrible early on in Boston. He's, he's now corrected it. I really don't know what to think. If he can't put up numbers against this Brooklyn defense, I would have some concerns. But also, like, let's say Boston does re-sign him. Is he coming off the bench next year? Is Marcus Smart coming off the bench? Is Kemba coming off the bench? I doubt it. Like, that's a really guard-heavy team, really perimeter-heavy team. Like, that team needs to be rejiggered in some way. Like, I I don't know. Like, I guess I'm very confused about what Boston's goal this offseason is going to be. I don't think they want to let the asset walk for nothing, but... I don't know, man. Like, you could really tell me anything. You could tell me he takes the mid-level, or you could tell me, like, yeah, the Spurs really fell in love with him in free agency and gave him, like, four years, $70 million. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Like, I, I think I don't think he's going to be a mid-level guy, but um, I guess with a, with a bad – now, even with a bad postseason, I think he's still good. I mean, there's such a premium on shooting now. He, he's a wing. He's 28 years old. Um He's big. He's six seven. I just think that he, he checks all the boxes, and I, I think in today's NBA, he's got a, a a good place to to make some good money. Okay, here's the hot take. I think he is the biggest beneficiary of the Jalen Brown injury because I think if Jalen Brown was healthy, there was a chance that they could have been like maybe the six seed, maybe the four or five. I don't know. Like maybe they could have gone on a little bit of a run, and I think. If, if they had gone on a little bit of a run and Fournier had shot badly in like the second round or like, you know, the third round, I don't think they would have made it that far. That could have been really damaging to his contract. I think the fact that they're going to get swept by Brooklyn mitigates the damage that he can do to himself because like there's going to be so much garbage time opportunity for guys on that team. They're going to, it's not going to be competitive at all. Like, I don't know, just, I, I just, just throwing the Celtics under the bus left and right. Is that the, you want to bet on this series? That play performance did, did nothing for Celtics? you. Jason Tatum, no. he's not going to score 60 points a game and, and keep them afloat? He's going to score 60 points a game, and they're still going to lose by 30 every night. Peyton Pritchard can have his playoff coming out party? I mean, I will say I do think this is going to be helpful for some of those young guys, Neesmith, too. They're going to get playoff minutes against Kevin Durant. Like, I don't know, maybe you learn something. Time Lord? He's going to be out there doing his thing. Maybe he's got, he's got turf toe. Yeah, he's got, like, what are they going to do at center if Time Lord's out? Like, are we going to see that much Tristan Thompson? I think you're going to have to. Sound great. It's either him or Luke Cornett. Well, I guess they got Grant Williams. Grant Williams would be good against Brooklyn. Do you have any other guys on your list? Uh, Well, we have to just talk about him. He's injured, but uh, Kelly Oubre, just because. He's already lost the money. He's uh, the money's uh, gone. When he got injured, the Warriors just became, like, the best team in the NBA. So that's probably not a good sign. How uh, much of that is him being injured? How much of that is James Wiseman being injured? It's, it's both. But 
I think it was pretty clear that Ubre was never the right fit for this Warriors team. They kind of went out and got him because they had to. They had to replace Clay somehow. Um, but that's another guy who, you know, you talk about the Warriors being kind of hamstrung financially with all those giant contracts they have. They, they've got to resign him, right? I mean, whether they end up trading him or whatever, like they can't just let him walk for nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, remember when Kelly Oubre, like starting versus coming off the bench, was a major story. After all this, is anybody offering Kelly Oubre like starter money and like a real starting role? No. He might go back to Golden State just because like they have his bird rights. So they can afford to like pay him something competitive. Whereas I don't know how much of a market he's going to have elsewhere. Yeah, it's just there's always one of those teams that's just like, oh, no, we're going to unlock this guy. Or you look at the Yeah, you look at the skill set. You look at the the size, the defensive potential. He plays with energy. Like, I can see why you could talk yourself into Oubre. Like, you watch him and he has these flashes of just like, wow, this guy's going to be an awesome NBA player. But over the, the course of a season, you just start to you get so frustrated watching him play. So I can definitely see a team coming in with like a big offer. And then the, the Warriors are really going to have to make a decision because they don't want to pay him. I just figured it out. Who's Oklahoma be? City is going to sign him and then trade him for a first-round pick again. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Gonna, that's going to become their, like, off-season routine. Just yeah, going. well, like, they're going to trade Al Horford for, like, neutral value or better this off-season. Like, they have all this cap space burning a hole in their pocket. Like, they got to do something with it. Why not just sign Oubre, start him when you're tanking again next year, let him post some stats, and then... Trade him to whoever else is a trade exception next year. But I do love this idea of, like, Stephen Curry couldn't fix him, but we will. Yeah, no, he, he couldn't learn to play. But, you know, Kerr does have a very uh, unique system offensively, and uh, not every player can fit into it. So there's a reason Kent Bazemore is a better fit than Kelly Oubre, which isn't the case in a lot of teams. I do think, given their trade desires and given, you know, they're so far into the tax, like, I do feel like they kind of have to, like, climb downward in a sense. Like, they, there's no way they're ever going to be financially, like, responsible. They have to just keep spending and keep spending and hope that that's enough to win them a title. So, like, they can't let that asset walk for free. They might just have to sign him to a big deal. And then, like, if worse comes to worse, you trade him at the deadline, right? Like, because yeah. they and can't replace in- a $12 million player. And the Warriors are constantly, you know, they're on the lookout for whatever star becomes available. So the more matching salary you have, uh, you can go with okay. the assets and all that stuff. But here's the problem. What are they trading for that matching for that star? Like, what are their assets? Because James Wiseman, let's just say it, had a bad rookie year. He's still and that good. Minnesota pick, He's still that good. Minnesota pick went from, like, maybe you're getting Jalen Suggs to, like, that might be number eight. Hey, they can still get four. Like, they can still get four. <laughs> I I mean the odds are not really in your favor there, yeah. my friend. Like that's all they that's the only one they can get in the top five because they can't get five, and then if it's top three, yeah. Minnesota gets it. So, so it's gotta be four. Yeah, their two best assets in the trade have lost a lot of value over the last year. Now, I think you could still trade them for like let could you trade both of them separately each for a starting level guy? Sure. Could you combine them for a star at this point? I don't think so. I hate to say this, but, like, just in a vacuum, let's pretend salaries don't exist. Would you rather have James Wiseman or Andrew Wiggins? Like, on a team that's trying to win the championship right now? Yeah, on a team that's, well, let's say a team that has a three- to five-year window. 
I, I, I'm, I'm a Wiseman apologist, but I'd have to say Wiggins. It's, it's probably Wiggins, right? Like the salary is prohibitive, but like. I just don't think Wiseman's going to be that good that quickly. Like he's going to a lot of time. If, if the Warriors started shopping Wiggins, I don't think that they would have to give up assets to get rid of him anymore. I think some team would like eagerly trade for Andrew Wiggins right now. Maybe not give you a lot, but like they would take on that contract and feel decently enough about that. Like, can we talk about this, by the way? I'd certainly rather have Andrew Wiggins and D'Angelo Russell right now. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like even on those contracts, like what yeah. a home run trade for the Warriors. Yeah. Hey, I was all in on this trade. I know our colleague Brad Buckin was, too. It's um, we had faith that Wiggins would work it out. It was kind of shaky there for a while, but dude's having a really good year. He's he's found the right fit as a you know third offensive option and uh, I guess some first option off the bench, and then just playing defense and knocking down open threes and not shooting mid range jumpers. It's been great. When I think of Brad and Andrew Wiggins, there's this great. I'm just I'm gonna get really nerdy for a second. There's a great recent Thor comic where Nick Fury just whispers something in Thor's ear and he drops the hammer because it suddenly makes him feel unworthy. The thing that he whispered was, I'm not going to get into the whole comic background, but the sentence was Gore was right. I feel like whenever I think about Brad and Wiggins, I feel like somebody whispering in my ear, Brad was right. And me being, my identity being so flabbergasted. By you know, it's just like dropping your, lap, your laptop. Self. I dropped my laptop. I'm no longer worthy of being a sports writer. <laughs> give Brad credit. Brad Brad puts himself out there, and he was very, very right about Wiggins. Now, did he go a little high? Yeah. What did he put Wiggins at? Like 48 on the top 100? Yeah, something like that. He say he, which he says is low now after this <laughs> after this recent stretch. So Andrew we'll Wiggins see. or Kyrie Irving. It's gonna be uh, Wiggins is gonna be pushing top ten next in next year's top. 100. I, I'm really excited to see the top 100 voting next year, but that seems like the, the right place to wrap this up. How have we not had Brad on the podcast yet? I don't know. I think he's too amped up. Watching him or talking to him during that Warriors Lakers playing game, I think he. I thought he was gonna have he a heart attack. He was losing his damn mind. <laughs> yeah. We all were. We all were. It's not I, I, I don't want to say like, oh, it's entertaining to like watch someone unravel before your eyes, but it was really fun watching Brad lose it. He he texted me the next day after the game and was like, Dude, I'm still super tense. Like I can't I can't relax. <laughs> it's like, he he lives I, and dies with this stuff. We have for those who don't know, like there's a reason that when there's a guest on this show, it's either just me and the guest or just Colin and the guest. It's because Colin and I both agree that three-man podcasts, like, they don't tend to work. It tends to turn into, unless you're people with, like, great, great chemistry together, it tends to kind of just turn into a Q&A and a lot of your turn, my turn, and we value chemistry on the show. I think Brad is the person that we make an exception for. Like, I think that would just be, we could have so much fun doing that that I think we could both be on with Brad. All right. When the when the Warriors and Lakers meet in the Western Conference Finals, we'll have Brad on as our first guest. That's the plan. Are you saying next year or this year? This this year, man. It's going to happen. Well, we joke about this. How cool would that be in general to have teams meet in the playoffs twice in different rounds? Yeah. And, That's and, possible now. And a seven, eight seeds in the Western Conference Finals would be pretty amazing. I don't think it's ever likely, but I think, man, that would be so cool. Let's wrap it up. We, we've talked enough tonight. Everybody go like, subscribe, go review, go 
I don't know, like whatever it is you need to do to get people to listen. Frankly, like I think it's your responsibility as a listener of this podcast. If you've made it this far, if you're that committed, you got to turn some friends onto this. You got to turn your boss onto it. You got to, you know, find whoever runs the music in your gym and just say, no, we're going to play this podcast instead. Colin, anything you want to add? Any goodbyes you want to throw out there? Yeah, that's good. We want active listeners, not passive yeah. listeners. You got to do the work if you're going to listen well, to the like, podcast. Doesn't Levitard's show, aren't there like podcasts of just fans talking about his show? Why don't we have that? Oh, we get like a fan. Yeah, we, or like some fan fiction. Okay, like, what, no, no. Like, talking Dude, about what? I've got it. We got to find two male hosts and we'll call it the Who Says Bros. All right, we need to you? go. That's the best. That's the go? best idea you've ever had. It's not going to get any better than that. We have to. We have to go. All right, that'll do it for us today. I'll be back with a very special guest next week. I'm very excited for this guest. Um, Colin will be back next week as well. And everybody, goodbye. Good night. I am really struggling with this goodbye. I don't know. Just the podcast is over now. Farewell. <laughs>